This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Final segment here on a Tuesday. Just Euler, no Motes today on the show. I'm fresh off that vacation glow back from Colorado yesterday. Uh, just had a beautiful time out there in the gorgeous state of Colorado. Motsi out today, but we'll all be back uh, to rendezvous with you on Thursday. Going to get to some of your tweets here. You know the drill. You want to get involved, you can get at me at Wesley Euler on the Twitter.com here. Katie tweets. Katie's got a couple questions for me here. When is Najee Harris's first 100-yard game? Ooh, Katie, good question. Um, I'm going to go week two. How about that? Week one up in Buffalo, that's going to be tough. First NFL game. It's just going to be juiced, that atmosphere. We know the Bills are a very good football team. They were in the AFC Championship game last year. They've beaten the Steelers each of the past two seasons in, in, in close, good, tight games. But week two, the Steelers come home. They play the Raiders. I don't think the Raiders are going to be very good this year, particularly on defense. So, Katie, let's go with September 19th, home opener at Heinz Field. That is where Najee will have his first 100-yard game. If not then, then definitely the next week when the Bengals come to town because that defense should be pretty porous as well. Um, And then how many games do the Steelers actually score on their opening drive is question number two from Katie. Katie, that was a big theme last year. The Steelers were not good on their opening drive. <laughs> I mean, they, they've got to be better than last year, right? Because there's only one way to go in that regard, and that's up. Let's say... Th- and you just said score, so I don't know if you mean field goals, touchdowns, both. In terms of just touchdowns, okay... Let's go with four. I'll go with four touchdowns on opening drives in 17 games. That'd be about 20, what, 21, 22% of the time. Quick math. I don't, maybe 18% of the time, actually. not About 20% of the time I'll go with. Let's, let's say about four games uh, the Steelers score a touchdown on their opening drive. Maybe mix in a field goal or two as well. Final one. Well, wait, Katie's got a few here. I love this, Katie. Um... What is the better chicken wing, flats or drums? <laughs> Whichever one's in my hand. Um, honestly, I think I do. Like I, I would say I like flats more, but it's like 60-40 or like 55-45. I like the balance. Like if I go to a wing place and you can do all flats or all drums, I wouldn't do that because I like both. I think with the drums, they're a little bit easier then you could argue you get a little bit more meat. But with the flats, I feel like the meat is more juicy, more tender. Sometimes you, you can get a better bite there. I, I like both. In fact, I love both. I love chicken wings. I love flats. I love drums. I'd give this slight edge to flats. I would. You know, gun to my head if you're making me choose. Uh, but I am not picky. I got time for both on my plate and in my palate. Uh, and then finally, Katie says, I got my week one Steelers-Bills tickets. Let's go, Katie. I think you might see Arthur Motes and I up there. No guarantees, but we'll see what we can do. And last one, Katie wants to know, is over-under on interceptions for Minka Fitzpatrick. Good, qu- Katie, I love this. Yeah, tweet the show more often. Um, well, let's see. He had five last – no, sorry, I'm backwards. He had four last year, and he had five the season before. So uh, wouldn't that be fair to set the over-under at four and a half? I think they'll try and get more creative, more 
ways to put Minka in positions to make splash plays. But like we've talked about before with Chris Carter, we talked about this with our buddy Chris Carter, uh, what was it, two weeks ago at minicamp. When you have a center fielder that's as good as Minka Fitzpatrick, just having him back there as a deterrent is is worth its weight in gold. So that's the only thing. Uh, that's why that four and a half number might seem a little bit low. Some of you might say, really? A four and a half interceptions? I just think teams are going to stay away from Minka. I think in a lot of ways, he can force offenses to, to be more one-dimensional, to take away parts of the field, because quarterbacks just don't want to go after him because they know he is that true center fielder back there who if you, you slip up, he will make you pay, and he will pick that thing off and, and quite often take it the other way. So I'll go with it, it, four last year, five the year before. Let's, let's keep it there, right? Let's go with four and a half as the over-under this season. Uh, for Minka Fitzpatrick interceptions. Annie tweets me and says, Welcome back. How was yoga at Red Rocks? What's the likelihood of the Steelers picking up another player or two? I'm hoping we can grab Malik Hooker. Your thoughts. Let's start at the top here, Annie. How was yoga at Red Rocks? Biblical. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Um, it, we, we did 7 a.m. yoga at Red Rocks right as the sun was coming up. You're, you know, probably... F- 10, 15 miles outside of Denver, but it's the beautiful Red Rocks Amphitheater. You've got all the Red Rocks around you there, and straight across, you can see the Denver skyline as the sun's coming up with all kinds of mountains around it. It was gorgeous. It was biblical. I'm not a huge yoga guy. I'm a yoga dabbler. Okay, my wife likes it, and, and I'll do it with her a few times a year. You know, like for Christmas or Valentine's Day, things like that. I'll often get us yoga packages because she enjoys when we do that together. It's something that we can do together. I like yoga. I don't love yoga. Like, I wouldn't consider myself a yogi or anything like that. It's not something I do regularly. But, man, if you are in Denver, yoga at Red Rocks. It was like 14 bucks a piece for our, for our tickets to do it. And my goodness, it would have been worth it just to sit there for an hour and watch the sunrise uh, in the Red Rocks Amphitheater over the Denver skyline. Excuse me. Uh, it, it was phenomenal, Annie. It was really cool. Uh, we did Garden of the Gods. We did St. Mary's Glacier. We went to a bunch of different breweries. Uh, jazz in the Park in Denver, which I didn't realize, but I'm thinking about it now. It's my first concert I was at since December of 2019 uh, when we went to Jazz in the Park on Sunday night, which was awesome. Uh, just you know, got a couple bottles of red, some cheese and crackers and baguette, just sat there and listened to some jazz music in City Park in Denver. Uh, it was, like I said, beautiful is the only way to describe it. I think the most beautiful places I've been in this country are definitely either Hawaii or Yellowstone National Park in in Wyoming and in Montana. Like, it's tough to beat Yellowstone. It's tough to beat Hawaii in terms of pure beauty. But my goodness, just everywhere you go in in, in Denver, around Colorado, it looks like a fairy tale, especially, you know, late June. It was probably the perfect time of the year. Everything was so clean and green, and just the trails were all so nice, and it it, it was perfect. We, We had a great time. Um... Four days there was not enough, but it was still a freaking blast. What's the likelihood of the Steelers picking up another player or two? I think very highly likely, especially now, Annie, right, with the release of David DeCastro, and that frees up some cap space. Yeah, it had some cap penalty, but it, in terms of how it balances out, the Steelers do come out with more wiggle room. I'm definitely thinking that they will pick up another player or two. Well, I guess they did in Trey Turner, right, being one of them. Maybe that's where that DeCastro money just sifts right to. Um but I still wouldn't be surprised if they added another pass rusher. You know, you mentioned Malik Hooker. I would love to have Malik Hooker. I've talked about him here on the show before. Um, 
when he's healthy, he is phenomenal. He reminds me a little bit of Bob Sanders. Same thing with the Colts, right? You guys remember Bob Sanders about 15 years ago at this point? Um, Bob Sanders was awesome. He was really good as a young player for the Colts, as a safety. He just couldn't stay healthy. That's been Malik Hooker as well, too. And sometimes that never comes back around. Sometimes you struggle with health, and certain guys, just whatever it is, their bodies, bad luck, maybe both of those things combined, just can't withstand the rigors year after year of an NFL career. I I would love to add Malik Hooker, though. I called his football games and his basketball games when I was in high school, when he was at Newcastle. I called their state championship game his senior year at Newcastle. Uh, his basketball team going 38, it was 36 or 38 and 0 his senior year. Perfect state champions. Uh, got to interview him after the game. Great kid, great family. Um, Again, semi-local, right? Like Newcastle, it's, it's, it's Western Pennsylvania. It's not really – I mean, it's like 40 minutes outside of Pittsburgh, 50 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. But he's from here, all right? If, if James Conner can be from here and be from Erie, Malik Hooker can be from Newcastle and be from here, uh, I would love it if that works out. And, uh, but obviously, I would, I would just like to see him land somewhere as well, too. And, uh, and, and kickstart and rejuvenate that NFL career. But yes, Annie, I, even with the addition of Trey Turner, I still think another player or two is most likely in the cards for those Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Steelers Nation 920 tweets me and asks, who would you put on your Steelers Mount Rushmore? I go Ben, Bradshaw, Green, and Null. That's, that, that was Steelers Nation there with, with his four. Um, so this to me, Steelers Nation, always depends on the caveat of coaches or not, right? Um, do you do you include coaches? Do you let's say non-players? Because if you're doing a Steelers Mount Rushmore and it is anybody involved with the organization, yeah, uh, Noel is on there for sure. Rooney is on there for sure. Mean Joe Green is on there for sure. And then I think it's down to one spot. And you can argue Lambert. You could argue Bradshaw. Um, you could you could argue Ben Roethlisberger. But if, 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 if so, let me put it this way: If we're just doing players, right? No coaches, no owners, no Myron Cope broadcasters, right? If we're just doing players, I think it's Ben Bradshaw, Mean Joe Green, and Jack Lambert, and then then the fifth one would be Troy. Like Troy Polamalu would be really close. And this is me just kind of all off the cuff, not putting a ton of time and thought into this. All right, before you guys roast me on Twitter. But if we're talking just players, I think I would go. Or sorry, if we're talking, uh, 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 yeah, just players, Ben, Bradshaw, Green, Lambert, with all due respect, Troy Polamalu is that kind of next guy there who I'd like to add as the fifth head on the Mount Rushmore. All-encompassing for the organization, though, like I said, to me, there are three stone-cold locks. It's the Chief, it's the Coach, it's Mean Joe, and then honestly, it's probably Lambert, because even with all those personalities, Lambert was still the face of that thing. With that toothless grin and his his big neck roll. But man, Bradshaw would deserve to be in there. Ben would certainly deserve to be in there as well, too. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. That's one that we could spend hours debating. But if you're asking me kind of all-encompassing, I, 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 go, I go Rooney, I go Noel, I go Green. And then I probably go Lambert. Even though you, it feels like you need Ben in there as a, as a, as a modern-era representation, I mean, <laughs> four rings in the face of football is pretty, pretty tough to beat. Don Juan tweets and says, I know everyone is questioning the release of DeCastro, but I live by the motto, uh, I believe in Colbert. 
I trust in Colbert. Remember the Steelers won the Super Bowl with an offensive line of Hartwig, Cologne, Stapleton, Starks, and Kimiatu. Oh, Don Juan, I could never forget. Benjamin Roethlisberger standing on the podium in Tampa Bay. Hey, offensive line, who's laughing now? Great times. Uh, Mr. Taylor tweets, here we go. What's up, cousins? I am back from my honeymoon. Well, we hope it was delightful there, Mr. Taylor. Hope you and uh, and your lass and the missus had a fantastic time. I don't know why I just like went kind of Irish there for a second. Uh, Mr. Taylor says, definitely had a blast, but can't remember most of it. Had too much to drink. Well, that, that's how you know you had a blast, Mr. Taylor. Um, but now I'm back, locked and loaded and married. So here is question number four, because remember, every show... Uh, Mr. Taylor, this offseason has been giving us um, Steelers trivia questions. Question number four, when do the Steelers get their first playoff win and against two? Mr. Taylor, come on, man. The Steelers got their first playoff win in franchise history in only their second ever playoff game in franchise history. And it was arguably, not arguably, it is the most iconic moment in National Football League history. It's the Immaculate Reception. You know, that gets lost in how just incredible that moment was and how controversial it was from the Raiders' standpoint, right? And how, yeah, the Steelers didn't win the Super Bowl until two years later, but that was the start of that era. What gets lost in in that shuffle a little bit is that that was the first playoff win in Steelers franchise history. Only the second playoff game they lost to the Eagles back in the 40s. That was the only other time until the 70s, until the Immaculate Reception, when Franco scored, the town went wild, and John Gruden got really pissed off. That was the first play. I mean, it's the most iconic moment in NFL history. It was the first playoff win in Pittsburgh Steelers history. Good stuff there, Mr. Taylor. I think you stumped me on the last two, but I got that one, baby. Sensei tweets, I get the feeling our offensive line will become a great, strong, young offensive line. Much much like Munchak's Millionaires of Old, I'm excited that we went from one of the oldest lines to one of the youngest. That is a good point there, Sensei. These guys, um, they should have that nastiness, that physicality, that that emotion and energy, right? That youthful um, desire to go out there and prove themselves and not saying it's a bad thing, but the Steelers have just had a, a veteran offensive line for a long time. It was a great thing actually, but it will be, uh, it will be fun to watch these young bucks get out there and, uh, and, and have an opportunity to make their own. Uh, Jeff tweets me and says, have you been to Yosemite national park? I have not Jeff. It's on the list. So next on my list, right? Um, I've crossed off Colorado. I've crossed off Hawaii uh, I've been to Yellowstone National Park before when I was younger in Wyoming and in Montana, both on a, on a long trip that was awesome. Um, Yosemite and the Badlands are next on my list. That's that's where I went. Next summer, I would like to get to one of those two, maybe both, maybe make a, a road trip out of it, uh, maybe like fly out there and then rent a car and, and drive back home, maybe come through Wisconsin, and stop in Chicago on the way home, things like that. Um, but I have not been to Yosemite, Jeff. That is, like I said, my, the next two on my hit list are Yosemite and the Badlands uh, in South Dakota. Uh, that, that's where I want to get to next, certainly. Uh, but I cannot wait. And, and hey, if you, you want to give me more recommendations for where I need to go and explore, I'll always take those on Twitter as well. At Wesley Euler, if you want to get involved with the show here, uh, still, eh, what? Oh, more than 10 minutes left in this segment. So you got plenty of time if you still want to chime in, get involved with the show. At Wesley Euler on Twitter is where I'll take your questions, your comments, your concerns, and your reactions. I'm going to give you my top 10 list. All right? We are getting back into summertime where we need some, 
some topics, right? We need some things to talk about. I mean, just to kill some time, if I'm being blatantly honest, right? When there's not much going on in the NFL world. I'm going to give you my top 10 list of the best 10 draft picks in Steelers history. But first, one more piece of audio to play for you. Missy Matthews, Mike Pursuta here right down the hall from me in the DVE studios giving their observations. Now that OTAs, now that minicamp are over, here's what Missy and Mike think heading into training camp and ultimately the regular season. Uh, we finished today with an emphasis on young guys, just really focusing on providing reps for those guys as added opportunities to learn and detail and, and gain understanding. And so um, I'm excited about as we move away, uh, the prospects of this group coming back to us and beginning the training camp process here in a month or so. Everybody at Missy Matthews with Mike Pursuta, as Coach Tomlin said, that is a wrap on minicamp for the Steelers here at Heinz Field. Everything concluding on Thursday. And as he said, the young guy is really getting a chance to show off and shine today during practice. And when you talk about the young guys, trip, you have to start with the secondary. And that I feel like is something we learned a lot about over this course of time, getting to hear from Terrell Austin, uh, a number of different veterans, and even the young guys themselves. Where do you anticipate guys fitting in as we head into camp fighting for those jobs? Well, I think uh, it's pretty clear now after uh, three weeks of OTAs and and the week of mandatory veteran minicamp, Antoine Brooks is first in line for Mike Hilton's nickel cornerback job. There's been a lot of speculation. Would Cam Sutton move inside when they needed a nickel from outside? Would Cam Sutton move from outside back to the old kind of cornerback uh, linebacker role he played in the six defensive backs dime defense last year. The plan, according to Terrell Austin, and I, I took this as a revelation more than an observation, they prefer to keep Cam outside. If they have the adequate people inside, they're going to go with Brooks, maybe somebody to be that Cam Sutton Swiss Army knife guy. If they have to move Cam Sutton in inside, they're pretty comfortable with James Pierre and or Justin Lane. Those guys just need to keep making progress. So A lot of moving parts there, but we're starting to see the big picture come together. Yeah, exciting to see what happens at training camp. And, you know, Antoine Brooks, somebody who didn't really have an offseason last year, didn't play a ton of defensive snaps to get to prove himself. So we will get to that nitty-gritty as camp gets closer at the end of July. Uh, Number two, Ben Roethlisberger. What did you learn about Ben Roethlisberger during this time? Uh, Pretty revealing to me, Missy. He acknowledged he didn't play well at the end of last year, was not consistent. There were times he just didn't play well enough. And he said uh, that uh, he was, quote-unquote, feeling worn down. Now, I I took that to mean more of a general kind of running out of gas at the end of the year thing more than it was a tired arm thing. I think it's going to be real interesting based on what Roethlisberger said during OTAs. Uh, I think monitoring uh, whether or not he's becoming worn down will be at least as important as monitoring how that uh, surgically repaired elbow feels. All right, number three, Minka Fitzpatrick, somebody we had a chance to hear from. And also, you know, Terrell Austin bringing up a good point during minicamp. This will be the third year Joe Hayden, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Terrell Edmonds will have played together, and he's leaning on those guys to be veterans. And and Minka Fitzpatrick wants them to lean on him. You know, two-time All-Pro, and he comes into these off-season sessions, and he talks about wanting to be more of a leader and, and getting more out out in front of a transitioning secondary, how important the the fundamentals and the details are. He's already leading by example. If you were wondering 
could Minka Fitzpatrick do more for the Steelers? The answer is he intends to. And it's crazy. This is his first real offseason with the Steelers due yeah. to COVID last year and coming in uh, during the season when the Steelers traded for him. Number four, Juju Smith-Schuster. He told us his goal for this season is to play more outside. So, of course, everybody that plays on offense was asked if that's possible. What did you take away from that? Uh, the one that I paid attention to was Matt Canada, the new coordinator, and uh, – uh, he basically didn't rule anything out, but he also made it very clear they're not going to be uh, dependent upon any particular play, any particular scheme, any particular formation. They are going to do what they think uh, helps them best win football games. And if that includes Juju Smith-Schuster playing outside as he wants, he'll play there. If they need him inside, he'll play there. Uh, Matt Canada thinks as long as they're winning, uh, that'll keep Juju and everybody else very happy. That's something that Juju talked about as well, Missy, when uh, he was asked about statistics and can all the talented skill position players on this team get the ball enough. He, Juju Smith-Schuster said, hey, if you win the Super Bowl, everybody gets to eat. So it's just a matter of where what part of the table you're sitting at, I guess. <laughs> Hopefully the head of the table. All right, in terms of number five, we'll call this veteran leadership slash team building, and it goes all the way back to OTAs. Cam Hayward and Ben Roethlisberger made it a point to be visible, to be there for the younger guys as they started that process. Coach Tomlin has talked about having minicamp at Heinz Field to get to know the building, but also each other and building that camaraderie. What else did you take away from that aspect? You know, that that's a player-driven thing, and uh, – it's interesting. We've heard from Mike Tomlin, Danny Smith, uh, Terrell Austin, all about James Pierre, the second-year cornerback, and how great he's doing, and uh, what a Some great special team player he was. Camp, yeah. uh, all that. Uh, those guys get on Zoom and they tell us uh, Pierre, Pierre, Pierre. I had a chance to ask Pierre if he gets any of that face-to-face from the coaches, and he said, <laughs> absolutely not. They're just out there coaching him. They're not pumping his tires. Yeah. That has fallen to people such as Joe Hayden and Ben Roethlisberger after. after uh, mandatory veteran minicamp day number two. That was the day that Pierre came up with a couple interceptions. And he said Ben Roethlisberger came up to him afterward and gave him a little good job, kid. And <laughs> Joe Hayden is always in uh, Pierre's ear pumping him up. So that's, that's a play that the coaches are teaching them what to do, and they're doing it apparently in a very business-like fashion. It's up to the veteran players to take care of the younger guys. Joe Hayden uh, told us all about Chase Claypool before we saw what Chase Claypool could do in 2020. He's going to be a problem, I Just believe. Just saying, the... I think he said that at the start of training camp, probably the first time he had a chance to work with Chase Claypool. All right, number six, the Steelers' first-round draft pick this year, Najee Harris. What did you learn about him, if anything? Uh, a couple things. Number one, everybody loves the guy, and there's a lot to love. Uh, he's not a polished, uh, you know, knows how to do everything at uh, NFL level and NFL speed, but uh, a lot to really like there. And uh, one of the things we found out during mandatory veteran minicamp is that uh, the kid does not have an off switch, Missy. Uh, Coach Eddie Faulkner confirming the story that Roethlisberger told during OTAs that uh, Faulkner had to actually tell Harris, hey, I want to go home now, get yeah. out of the film room. Watch TV. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should relax. Maybe you should dial it down just a little bit. The work ethic does not have an off switch. He's out there. Uh, I think Eddie used the uh, comparison to a dog wagging its tail. Yes, give me another drill. Teach me how to catch the ball. Uh, teach me how to chip a linebacker. Throw things at me when I'm trying to catch the ball. He's, uh, Najee Harris is all in as if Steeler Nation needed another reason to be excited. Uh, he's going to do what it takes no matter uh, the situation, no matter the distraction, no matter what they try to do, Missy, to get him off his game. I promise you this is one of the uh, tools that Najee Harris gets hit with by Coach Faulkner. It's definitely homemade, so I brought it to mm -hmm. 
you know, kind of, you know, but Faulkner's a little bit harder on it, but uh, Najee Harris definitely uh, takes some hits, storing all of his drills and ending I, on, I you didn't know, drop my notes. the running backs. Well, I didn't really hit you that hard. Well, I'm, I'm kind of nice. If Labs was here, I would have knocked him out into the, the first <laughs> section, just saying. Anyways, love you, Labs. All right, well, that is going to do it for Mike and myself here from Heinz Field. We will see everybody when Steelers training camp kicks off next Next month was what she said there. I don't know why that got cut off, but that was Missy Matthews, Mike Pursuta, uh, Missy, of course, of the Steelers, Triv with me here in the iHeart building, he of the DVE morning show. Great stuff from them, as always. All right, folks, I've been teasing it for, what, the last 90 minutes here. It's time for another traditional patented summertime Wesley Euler Top 10. Here's what I got for you today. It's Honestly, it was really hard, like, like very difficult to do this but the top 10 draft picks in Steelers history. Not players, right? Draft picks. So where they were selected, factoring into this decision. And I went like, I did a top 10 here, but I went like 16 guys deep because there are just some great selections here. But we'll start at the top. It's me and Joe Green. All right? Um, the Steelers had never won a playoff game before he got here. The Steelers... We're a bit of a laughing stock before me and Joe Green got to town. Uh, his pick was questioned by everybody here. Uh, little relative unknown out of a small school in Texas, right? But me and Joe Green, fourth overall in 1969, set the stage uh, for the Steelers' dynasty of the 70s. There is no, I, if I was, folks, you know, ESPN does like 30 for 30s and things like that. If I was a sports documentary filmmaker, I would love, or even honestly, if I just had the clout one day to to get some backing, <laughs> I would love to do a documentary on how there's no Steelers as we know them without me and Joe Green. There's just not. He was the first one to to blaze that trail to set the standard. First round, fourth overall, 1969, me and Joe Green is number one. Number two was the next year, first overall, Terry Bradshaw. All right, folks, when you're picking first overall, I don't care who you are, but particularly when you're the Steelers and you haven't done so very often, you better not mess it up. And if you're taking a quarterback, you really better nail your first overall pick. The blonde bomber out of Louisiana Tech was just that. They started to lay the groundwork in 69 with Mean Joe Green, particularly on the defensive side of the football. 1970, Terry Bradshaw. And all of a sudden, you're cooking with fire. Third best, it's it's a quarterback-driven league, right? 2004, 11th overall, Ben Roethlisberger. The third quarterback taken in that draft. And they've all had good careers. Other than Phillip Rivers, they've won Super Bowls, but Ben was the best of those three, and the Steelers got him at the 11th overall pick. That's number three for me, Ben Roethlisberger. Number four, maybe I'm a little biased here, but you get arguably the best safety of all time outside of the top 15, yeah, Troy Polamalu in 2003. And also, remember, Kevin Colbert, in one of his first big moves, traded up to get this guy, Troy Polamalu. Uh, when you're trading up in the first round, when you're doing so right to draft a safety as well, too. Like, not a, not a pass rusher, not a run-stuffing linebacker. You better nail it, and, and they absolutely did, with, again, one of the best safeties of all time in Troy Polamalu. That's number four for me. Number five, 1974. 46th overall in the second round. Linebacker out of Kent State, the face of the Steelers in the 70s, Jack Lambert. Set the tone 
Um, was just a menace out there. Was one of the best linebackers to ever do it and a value pick at 46, right? Not a, a top 10, top 15, top 20 selection. 46th out of Kent State. Give me Jack Lambert. Number six is Mr. Sixth Round. All right, I know this one's going to tick some people off, but it's one thing to find diamonds in the rough in the draft in the 70s. It's a whole nother to do it in the modern era. And And getting Antonio Brown, arguably the best receiver of his generation, it's him or Julio, in the sixth round, dynamite. A.B. in the sixth round, sixth overall. Number seven, 1971, a few years before they drafted the linebacker out of Kent State, 34th overall, they took a linebacker from Penn State, Jack Ham, who still does the Penn State broadcast now, color commentator, by the way. 34th overall for arguably the best off-ball linebacker. I mean, maybe ever, honestly, when you look at his accomplishments. Yeah, Jack Ham's got to be on the list. And this is where it starts to get really difficult because there's a lot of guys who feel like they got to be on this list. Number eight, though, um, set the tone. Set the. I mean, he just the, the Steelers had never won a Super Bowl until he got here. He by the time he left, he had played the most games in the organization. Right now, only Ben Roethlisberger has played more games in the black and gold than Mike Webster. Fifth round pick, one hundred and twenty fifth out of Wisconsin, and arguably the best center of all time. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about this out loud, I should have probably had him a little bit higher on my list. But man, getting him in the fifth round. Uh, the Steelers hadn't won buckus before Mike Webster got to town. And like I said, by the time he left, he had played more games than anyone in the history of the organization and had four rings on his finger. Number nine, let's stick with the offensive line. Alan Fanica, 26th overall in 1998. Folks, this might be hard to believe, but the guard position in football was still really disrespected in the late 90s. People thought we need tackles, we need a good center, but guards, eh, they're kind of dime a dozen. Alan Fanica was one of the trailblazers that helped change that reputation. The best guard of his generation, I think, certainly one of the best uh, you know, handful of guards to ever play the game of football. It is a freaking joke that he had to wait as long as he did to get into the Hall of Fame, but we are going to celebrate here a couple months from now when 66 gets in. Alan Fanica, number nine. And then 10th, this is so hard, but for where they selected him in the third round, 1970 Mel Blunt at a Southern University. A game changer, uh, legitimately, right? Changed the corner position, changed how the secondary was governed in the NFL, and they got him in the third round. They got him outside of the top 50. That's value right there for the man always wearing a cowboy hat, arguably the best defensive back ever, but certainly of his era. At number 10, I've got Mel Blunt. And folks, this is so difficult. This is so difficult. Rod Woodson, uh, I can't, 10th overall in 1987. Rod Woodson. Uh, I tell you what, T.J. Watt, 30th overall. He's moving up onto this list pretty darn quick. Cam Hayward, 31st overall. Damarney Dawson, 44th overall out of Kentucky. Uh, Hell, even Franco Harris, first round, 13th overall in 1972. LeVon Kirkland in the second round. The Steelers have had some great value picks. This is a really tough list to make. But for me, uh, that's it. Starting at the top again, Mean Joe Green, Terry Bradshaw, Ben Roethlisberger, Troy Polamalu, Jack Lambert, Antonio Brown, Jack Ham, Mike Webster, Alan Fanica, and Mel Blunt. Those are 
the best draft picks that the Steelers have ever made. But like I said, I mean, my goodness, we could talk about Heinz Ward, the value there. Uh, Heath Miller at pick 30. Like I said, TJ Watt, you got to think, really good chance of being on this list. I can't believe Rod Woodson was at 11th. But we're spoiled here, baby. And, uh, and these guys help set the standard, certainly, uh, that we still carry now in the organization. But I am way overdue here. That was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. That was my top 10 list, top 10 Steelers draft picks. We'll continue to do more of those uh, later this week as the summer rolls along, obviously, before we get to training camp. Thanks to everybody for rocking with me today. Like I said, we will have a normal show on Thursday. Motsi will be back in the saddle with me here. So we'll talk the ends then. High noon on Thursday on your 24 7 home of the black and gold Steelers nation I, I like pausing there when moats normally you know slam dunks at home but I'm throwing an alley-oop to nobody Steelers nation radio <laughs>